Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. All right, Hill City, good morning. Like Brad mentioned, my name is Jarrell, uh, and I have the honor and privilege of being the worship director here on staff at Hill City Church. So what I get to do is I get to oversee all of the teams and volunteers, as well as participate in all of our different gatherings that involve worship and production. Uh, so that's here on Sunday mornings in this place, upstairs with kids, and on Thursday nights with Salt Company. College students, where you at? Yeah, 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 y'all, y'all don't wake up early no more, huh? It's crazy. All right. So a little bit about myself this morning. I grew up down south in a city called Marrero, Louisiana. It's right outside of New Orleans. But I grew up at a church called True Vine Baptist Church in West Wego, Louisiana. I think it's so ironic. The first day I ever get to preach uh, is about what we're going to be talking about this morning out of John 15. But a little bit about that time period in my life as a kid. My dad was one of the pastors on the preaching team there. And I loved it. I grew up in the church. It was great. I got to hear, hear, hear him preach all the time and share the gospel, and it was wonderful. And there were a lot of people at the church who would look at me, six, seven, eight years old, like some of you third through fifth graders who may be in here this morning, and say, Jarrell, you're going to be just like your daddy. I was short. That's why I'm looking down. Jarrell, you're going to be just like your dad, preaching the word, sharing the gospel, loving on people. It's going to be awesome. And I would look at these people every time they told me that and say, no. <laughs> I wanted to play football, y'all. I wanted to play football. I wanted to go to the league. I had all these big dreams of doing all this other stuff. And I thought that was where my life was headed. Well, God's got a funny way of working things out, but I'm so thankful for it because I get to be here sharing his word with this body of believers in this church family. I'm so excited. So excited. So in reverence to his word, let's all stand together this morning as we read the scripture. I'm going to go to John chapter 15, verse 1. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can. I'm in the ESV translation, in case you're in a separate one. Uh, It'll also be on the screen behind me. If you don't want to follow along with your Bible, you just want to follow along together. But it reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Hill City, you can have a seat this morning. So we're going to dive into this passage today, all right? And all I'm going to do is give this to y'all how God gave it to me. We're just going to have a little conversation this morning. And so to start with a little bit of your participation, because I want to start with a scenario, all right? So by a show of hands, where's all my Netflix watchers at? 
if every hand in here is not raised, some of y'all lying. <laughs> yeah, we all love watching Netflix. We love jumping into a new series, something we haven't seen before, right? And there's this, this, this feeling of happiness that we get once it hooks us after a few episodes. You feel me? And sometimes we start it with our friends, or if you're married or in a relationship, you'll start it maybe with your spouse or with your significant other. And maybe sometimes they get an episode or two ahead of you, you know? So the next time they'll talk about the show, right, the next time they'll talk about it, the conversation's a little bit different because not only have they betrayed all of your trust that you had in them, <laughs> but you don't want them to ruin anything for you, right? You're in full-on spoiler alert mode at this point, right? You feel me? Like, you're trying to avoid every question about it. You don't want anything to get ruined. Spoilers are terrible, right? Can we all agree on that? All right, well, with that agreement, I'm going to give you a spoiler for this passage. But I promise it's not going to be something that's bad, okay? It's going to be really good. It's going to wrap the whole thing in a nutshell. So if you take one thing away, if you're one of my note takers, and you want to take one thing away from this morning, this is what you need to write down, okay? Here we go. You ready? If you abide in Jesus, then you can rest in the fullness of joy. I'll say it again. If you abide in Jesus, then you can rest in the fullness of joy. So let's dive in together. And remember what we said in the beginning, our goal by the end of this is so that we could all live a life that is in response to the arrival of the Messiah. And not just the arrival of him coming for the first time, but also in response to his arrival to come. And we'll talk about that more later on. We're going to take another step in that process today, okay? I've got three themes this morning that are going to come out of this passage. Once again, my note takers, I'm trying to help you all out this morning, all right? This first theme is the vine, the vine dresser and branches. That's the first one. The second one is the word abide. And the third one is the word joy. And we're going to break down what all these mean and how they play into our stories and how we can utilize them to live a life that is in response to the arrival of the Messiah. So let's set the stage and get some context for where we are right now. We're in the book of John, okay? And in the book of John, there are seven total I am statements. This happens to be the last one that Jesus makes in his life here on earth. A few chapters after this, he actually goes to the cross and wins the most epic battle in history. Spoiler alert, but if that's a spoiler, please go read your Bible. Um, you got to get caught up. That's, a, that's important. That's important. But even a few chapters before this, we see him sitting um, with his disciples, and they're having a meal together. We call it the Lord's Supper. They're talking about a few things, some last thoughts before his time has come to leave uh, that earth, this earth. So he's communicating that he's going to be betrayed by one of them. He's communicating that Peter's going to deny him three times. He's communicating the declaration of that he's the way, the truth, and the life, like we talked about last week with our brother Trey. And he's also communicating that he's going to promise them the Holy Spirit for when he's gone. But then we get to this point right here in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. I want to read this again this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus often spoke in parables and in metaphors, and sometimes it could have been confusing. This one was a bit confusing for me because I didn't have the context when I first read it. Maybe you don't have the context hearing it now, but it just needs a tad bit of a breakdown because the word true uh, in this vine metaphor, if you will, proposed a question in my mind when I was studying. 
Was there an untrue or like previous vine that Jesus could be referring to potentially? Where is this vine coming from? Moreover, why is Jesus the true one, right? So we find something back in the Old Testament that can help us out a little bit. So we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 through 11 this morning. Feel free to write it down or turn to it in your Bible. It will be on the screen behind me as well. But it reads, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. So this whole series started with Aaron setting us up with a passage from Exodus 3 about Moses' first encounter with God. And I really encourage you, if you've never heard this story, to go read it sometime this week because it just sets the groundwork for this huge move of God that's about to happen where he's going to see the nation of Israel freed from Egypt and delivered so that he can reveal himself to the world through them. That was his plan for the nation of Israel. In this context, Israel is the previous vine that we're referring to uh, in Psalm chapter 80. Now, third through fifth graders in the room, I know you're in Hill City Kids and you're studying about Israel all the time, right? You've heard this before. You can track with me on this, but Israel was set apart and they were declared God's children. So if you were a part of this nation, you were a child of God. God was going to reveal himself to the world through these people. But they didn't always follow God like they should have, right? They didn't always follow his commandments. They didn't always listen to him. To be real, that theme is still around because if we can all agree, we don't always listen to what God calls us to either. So by Jesus saying that he's the true vine, he's declaring that identity in God is no longer about being a part of a nation of people who are flawed or who have shortcomings, who make mistakes, who sin. But now it's about being a part of Jesus, dwelling with him, putting all of your faith in him. That's what declares you a child of God now. And we'll talk more about that when we get to point number two, with the word abide. But we even said it in the last series that we were in, called Something Better, where we dove into the book of Hebrews. Jesus was laid out to be a better way than the Hebrews were practicing faith-wise and life-wise, right? He's saying the same thing here, but just a little bit differently. He's saying, not only am I a better way, I'm the true way. The one true way. So when all the other Israelites couldn't get the job done, Jesus was the faithful Israelite who was able to do all of what God called for. Jesus is the true vine. So now we get to the next part of this first verse. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, if you're like me, who's never planted a thing in his life, I don't have a green thumb. I didn't know what a vine dresser was. I had to research this too. I had to study this up. But a vine dresser is synonymous to a gardener. And their specific role is to tend to the branches of a vine in a vineyard. That's what they do. And that's us, church. And this, and this setup, once we get to verse 2 and Jesus starts talking about branches, he's talking about the disciples. He's talking about us. We're the branches in this story. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I wanted to illustrate this. I got an awesome drawing I'm going to put up on the screen behind me. I know it looks funky, all right, it's kind of toony. This is a weird looking dude, but that's our vine dresser, okay? And to the left of him, coming out of the ground, there's a vine that's attached to a wooden post growing straight up. And everything that goes to the left and to the right are branches. So we said it before, a vine dresser 
tends to the branches of the vine. He prunes them in their correct timing and season to assure that they grow properly and specifically how they're supposed to. And off to his left, a little bit behind him, you see there's a pile of dead branches that are being burned off. And that's what comes from the result of him pruning these things. So I've said the word pruning twice now. I should probably explain what that means, right? This is a process that is done uh, to ensure that all the fruit grows how it's supposed to. So the vine dresser goes to the branches, and the ones that are dead, he completely chops them off, just gets rid of them, puts them in that, in that fire, tosses them, burns them, right? However, there's some branches that can bear fruit, and he looks at those and says, you know what, I'm not going to get rid of you, you're good. But for some of them, he trims them just a little bit to make space for more fruit to grow in the right timing and the right season. So Jesus is saying that the father, the vine dresser, is looking at all the branches, us, that are connected to him, the vine, and he's removing all of the dead weight, even some of the things that could be good potentially to ensure that they bear fruit the exact specific way that they were created to. And that's powerful, church, because that process is happening in all of us who are connected to Jesus, who are connected to the true vine. But have you ever, like, you know, been in a season of growth or pruning? Not everything feels all fine and dandy, you know? Like, yeah, some good things are happening, some growth is happening, but there's still a lot of pain that goes with it. This cutting process, this, this pruning process, it hurts, you know? Like, it's one thing for God to say, all right, you know, hey, Jarrell, I see you, you're doing your thing, you're abiding in me, right? Cool. There's a group of people that you're kicking it with, and they're terrible for you. I need you to step away from that. I'm going to cut you off from them. And like it stings a little bit, like it's cutting a piece of you still, but that was bad. That's understandable, right? We want to be a part of things that can bring us closer to Jesus. But when he takes something that's good and he cuts that off, that hurts a million times worse. Have you ever like had a moment in your life where that's happened? Can you relate to that? I want to share a little bit of my testimony to help paint a little bit of a clearer picture about this. But in, in the month of May this, this year, uh, I actually lost the ability to sing and use my voice due to a vocal injury. Some of us may have been here and have seen that process and have been here for that. Some of us, this might be your first time hearing about it. But the, the injury alone hurt in itself. There were some weeks I couldn't talk at all, couldn't speak, had to use a whiteboard to communicate with people. That was frustrating. I was so confused with God. I was so angry at God. Lord, why would you take something that I've been using to glorify you away from me? What's up with this? It was painful. On top of that, I had an identity crisis in the same time. A few couple months in, I realized I've been dwelling in my vocal ability and not in Jesus. Can we relate to this church? Have we been there, church? But as the process went on, God revealed some things to me. That this was all that pruning process that we're talking about right here. God said, Jarrell, yes, your voice is great. I know, like, you're using it to glorify me. That's cool. But there's so many other things underneath the surface that need to grow. And they can't grow with the way you're looking at your voice right now. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to give you leadership. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you a better ear to listen to those who need to be heard. You're going to serve people better when this is all over with. And praise God, thankfully, when that time period was over with, he gave me my voice back. And it was just, it was a blessing. It was, it was wonderful. 
In order for God to ensure that the proper growth is happening, church, sometimes he has to cut off something that's good for a season so that more fruit can grow. But I want to be very clear about my specific testimony. God doesn't always give back something that he cuts away. I want to make sure that we know that this morning. I don't want you to leave saying, oh, Jarrell got his voice back. I'm going to get this back. That could have been so terrible for you. God's not going to give that back if it's going to be terrible for you. That's not who he is. It's not what he does. I had reached a point in about month three or four where I was telling my community over and over again, listen, this sucks. This is terrible. But, Lord, if you don't want me to have my ability to sing back, let it be done. It is so. Because everything else that's been provided underneath that has grown through the surface is way better than that one thing that I used to glorify other than glorifying you. We may have been there before, church. We may be able to relate to that. So Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And we are the branches, all right? We feel good? We still following? We still following? Wonderful. Here we go. Verse number three. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And when I first wrote, read this, I was confused with how he was talking about them being clean. So uh, I looked for a different translation that might help me understand it better. And I found the ERV, the easy-to-read version. I promise I'm not making this up. It does exist, all right? And it clarified this passage for me, y'all. So verse 3 in the ERV is, you have already been prepared to produce more fruit by the teaching I have given you. So what Jesus is saying right there to his disciples that just by you hearing and listening and receiving what I just said, and not just that, but also believing it, you're now, the, the pruning process has begun. You're now prepared to be grown, for fruit to be grown within you, to be produced within you. It's awesome. It set them apart from those who hadn't heard this yet. And it set them even apart from those who will hear it at some point, but who won't believe it. So then we get to verses 4 and 5. And we have a new word being introduced. Main theme number 2, right? This word, abide. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me... You can do nothing. The New Testament comes from the language of Greek, right? So the word abide in Greek is this word meno. And it has a few different meanings, but in this specific context, it means to live or to dwell. And I know the word abide can be also communicated as an action. And there are some actions that we need to take in order to abide in Jesus, yes. But here abide is a state of being. Because we need to dwell in Jesus. We need to live in Jesus, church. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus gets after that in verse 4. So I want to put the picture back up for just a, just a moment just so we can see it again, right? So there's the branches that spread left and right. We already said that's what the branches are, right? Not a single one of those branches would be able to survive unless it's connected to that main vine growing out of the ground to the left of the vine dresser. Jesus is revealing that there's no other way to grow, to thrive, to flourish, or to even live 
unless we're connected to him. Especially if we want to bear fruit that he's calling us to bear, church. We need to abide in Jesus. And church, if we don't, Jesus lays out what that looks like too. Verse number six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We can find a parallel to this in the Old Testament as well. Back in Isaiah chapter 5, there's a story about a vine dresser who has this vineyard. He's got so many awesome plants for this vineyard. He's getting it all ready to produce fruit. He's putting fences up and he's putting up the beams that the vine's going to grow on. He's making sure everything is set up perfectly, right? And then the time comes for the fruit to start to grow. And everything that grows is rotten, it's spoiled. The message version of the Bible will say that it's junk. So what does he do in response? I wouldn't like to think that he threw a temper tantrum, but he tore down the fence of the vineyard. He let it be trampled over. He let thorns and thistles and weeds grow up in it. And he declared to the sky, don't ever rain on that vineyard. Don't waste your resources here. When the Lord made the Israelites his chosen people, there were some who decided to disobey him and not follow him. And they did this over and over and over again. So God was left with no choice but to do the same thing that this vine dresser did when his vineyard did not produce the fruit that it was supposed to produce. He tore down the fence and let it all go to ruin and he let thistles and weeds grow up. He did away with it because you had to get it away from what could still grow. And I know this sounds harsh, but I do want to specify something real fast, especially for my third and fifth graders in the room who are hearing this, all right? This was in the Old Testament. So like Jesus just laid out in the New Testament, abiding in Jesus makes you a child of God now, not belonging to the nation of Israel. But those who don't abide in Jesus aren't counted as God's children. And I want to make sure that we know that HC kids who are in here, you're not too young to make this decision. None of you are. You're not too young to be thinking about this on the regular. You're not too young to be processing it. You're not too young to ask questions. Your parents would love nothing more than to walk with you and talk with you about what it looks like to abide in Jesus. They would love to do that. You're not too young. So we get to verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 this morning. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Real quick, back in verse 8, we always talk about glorifying God and how can we give him more glory than he already, you know, deserves and things like that. Just abide in Jesus. By this my Father is glorified. Like, abiding in Jesus glorifies God alone. That's a blessing. That's awesome. But I want to talk about verse 7 too. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want to give us some clarification on what this really means. And I found a quote that can help us do just that. This isn't just prayer, but answered prayer. 
Not like a genie bottle, but more like if you are remaining in a deep relationship with Jesus, your heart will line up more and more with his. And so you'll ask for things that he would want you to ask for, and he will faithfully give us those things to our amazement and delight. I want to tell a little story to help connect some dots to this from my own childhood, okay? So growing up, I love music. I still love music to this day. I literally get to sing for a living and praise the Lord through that. It's a blessing. It's awesome. But if you're like me, when I was a kid, yo, I could hear a song one morning and have it memorized that night. I mean, just diving into it over and over again. I love music, especially when I was in grade school. But then sometimes I go to school, you know, and I take a test, and the grade wouldn't be too good. It'd be pretty terrible. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, whatever. But back in my head, I'm like, I got to bring this home to my mom and my dad. They're going to see this, this bad grade, right? So I bring it home to them. First person I give it to is mom. And when she looked at she always said the same thing. All right? And she said it real sassy. I can't give it no justice, but I'm going to try. All right? She said, boy, if you would be in them books like you be in them songs, you wouldn't get these bad grades on these tests. Couldn't do it justice. I tried. Sorry. But I want to flip this another way just to make sure we're using some of the language that we're using already, right? She was essentially telling me, Jarrell, if you'd abide in your books and stop abiding in, abiding in the music so much, then when the test comes around, you would know what you needed to know for it. Let me say it one more way. This might connect it better, all right? Church, if we abide in Jesus, like we abide in insert worldly thing here, then we would know exactly what to ask for in times of trial. We would know exactly where to run whenever we feel attacked. We would be remaining in a deep relationship with Jesus, doing things like praying, like reading our Bibles, like memorizing scripture, but those things would help us bear the proper fruit to take on anything in Jesus' name. We would start focusing on heavenly things and not things of this earth. And everything in our beings would change in that. Our prayer life would change. Our relationships would change. Our friendships too. Our work ethic would change. Our thoughts will change. Everything changes when we abide in Jesus. There's not a, a single way that we can possibly behave in a manner that we did before abiding in him once we start abiding in him. And that's a blessing. It really is. But it takes us to the theme number three of joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And church, this is the result, right? All this processing of what Jesus is talking about and where is he taking us and where is it going. He says that he's saying all of these things to give us joy. So let's talk about joy for just a quick moment. Joy is something that's synonymous with gladness and cheerfulness. It's a, it's a positive expression, right? And here in this context, it's given as a result of abiding in Jesus. But it's not just that we get joy, but our joy is full. So the cup's not half full at any point in time. You don't just get a little drop whenever you need a little pick-me-up every now and again. Jesus is saying that by abiding in him, we get a fullness of joy, all of it. And I know some of us in here are thinking, especially with the holiday season bringing good and bad memories, good and bad times. Jarrell, I've been abiding in Jesus my whole life. But three Christmases ago, we lost one of my best friends. How can I have joy when all I can think about is that? Maybe it's even something more 
general and more constant. I've been abiding in Jesus for so long, but my anxiety and my depression is running me over. My sin is drowning me right now. I don't even know where to run to. I don't know where to escape. How can I find this joy that you're talking about? What does that look like for me? I want to be very clear when I say this, church. Our joy is not attached to our circumstances. It's not. Because that would mean this joy that we're talking about is surface level. And it's not. It's so much deeper than that, church. This joy that Jesus is talking about is deeply rooted in a deep relationship and connection with him. It's not something that can be wavered or shaken at any given point in time. Just like those roots of that vine are rooted deep into that ground, that vine isn't going anywhere, neither is Jesus. And there might be some of us in here who are saying, I don't abide in Jesus right now. I don't abide in him yet. And I feel like everything's all good. I feel like I have joy. I feel like I'm happy. I want to challenge you. Not because I'm judging you, that's not what's happening, but because I've been where you've been. And I've done that. I've abided in so many other things in my life and in my story, thinking that I was finding joy and happiness. And after a while, every single one of those things left me empty because they come to an end. You know what doesn't come to an end? Jesus. I challenge you to try abiding in Jesus instead. The results will be drastically different. As we start wrapping this up today, I want to invite anybody who's serving communion to come on down and begin preparing that this morning. We've talked about abiding, we've talked about joy. Like, how do you abide, though? You know, what does that look like? When we abide in Jesus, it means we're following him. It means we're obeying him, right? So we're doing, there's so many things that we can do. There's some practical ways that we're going to have up here on the screen. There's some scripture attached to it. Also, just in case you want to fact check it back to the word. Well, we can do things like reading our Bible. Simple as that. It's a great start to abiding in Jesus. If you're married, love your spouse. The word declares that we should be doing that too. Kids, it's as simple as listening to your parents. Just listen to them. You might think they get on your nerves sometimes. You don't have nerves. You're too young. Listen to your parents, okay? Church, serving the community not slandering and not gossiping, just telling the truth, not stealing, taking every single one of our thoughts and making sure that they line up with things that Jesus would have them line up with. Every single one. The word calls that taking them captive. All of these things can help us abide in Jesus, help us get to that state of being. There's an author by the name of David Platt, and he has a book called What? Did Jesus really mean when he said, follow me? And there's a quote from that book that goes directly into what we're talking about this morning. It says, Jesus' call to follow him is more than an invitation to just pray a prayer, but it is a summons to lose your life and find new life and ultimate joy in him. And that last line really got me. Lose your life and find new life and ultimate joy in him. Church, we talk about that here almost every week. It just sounds a little bit different. We call that passing from death to life, right? Having that moment with Jesus saying, you know what? I no longer want to live a life that is apart from you. I only want to live the rest of my life with you, connected to you. That's what we're referring to here. Saying that, now, life without you, Jesus, that was the old way. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that ever. Let's talk a little bit about the old way this morning. 
And we can go back to the beginning of the Bible, right? God created everything. The sky, the ground, the light, the darkness, plants, all the animals you see. He created humanity. He created us. He had a plan for all of his creation, every single piece of it. But humanity, us, we were the piece of the plan that wanted to do something different. So we betrayed him. We went off and we did our own thing. And after so many failed attempts at redemption, God finally said, I can't, I can't leave this up to y'all. I've got to come down and do this myself. So he sends his son Jesus, right? And Jesus comes down and he lives a perfect life. He loves perfectly. He teaches perfectly. He convicts perfectly. He serves perfectly. And in all of his perfection, he took on all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our wrongs. And he took them to the cross on Calvary. And he hung and he died for every single one of our mistakes and our sins. But I'm so glad the story doesn't just end there, right? Because here's where that new life part comes from. Jesus, three days after being buried, rises from the grave, rises from the tomb with all power in his hands, having defeated death, defeated sin, defeated the enemy. And he raises and ascends to the right hand of the throne of the Father to intercede on our behalf, where he is still at right now. Church, abiding in Jesus is the new life that we're referring to here. That's where we get the ultimate joy that we're talking about here. Jesus is the only place that we can get complete hope, total peace, and the fullness of joy. And I know we already mentioned it, but I want to come back to it again. Yes, you may not always feel this joy in every single season or every single moment. But church, I stand firm in this statement when I say you don't even stand a chance at feeling it unless you abide in Jesus. But church, it's also not just about joy. We shouldn't be following Jesus just to feel joy. Yes, it's a result of it. Jesus states that. Abiding in him gives us a fullness of joy. Yes. But all we need to do is pursue Jesus Chase after Jesus. Because church, he provides so much more than just joy. But like we said in the beginning, if you abide in Jesus, yes, you can rest in the fullness of joy. Let's pray this morning.